0: You guys can take your seats. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you, Shun, as Damani calls me. Uh, Yeah, glad you guys are here. Uh, As you guys know, we are currently in a series called Convictions. It should, oh, called Convictions. I think it's going to come up, maybe. Yes, cool. And uh, we're not talking about how to stay out of jail, we are talking about things that are are crucial if we're going to walk with God for the rest of our lives. And so tonight, we're talking about real responsibility. But before we start, would you guys just pray with me? Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you for uh, just bringing us here tonight, God. Lord, I pray, Jesus, Lord, you used weak and foolish things to shame the wise, God. And I pray you would use me tonight, God. Lord, I admit that I am weak and foolish apart from you, Jesus, and I need you. So Holy Spirit, would you speak through me and speak to us and be here. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. All right. Who has ever read, ridden a jet ski? Raise your hand. Yes. Jet skis are the best. I grew up riding jet skis. Um, you know, someone once said that you can't buy happiness with money, but you can buy a jet ski. So you never see anyone sad on one of those. Um, <laughs> but I grew up riding jet skis. Uh, I, my parents have a lake house. And so this lake at our lake house was really cool because there was all these creeks off to the side uh, on the lake and so what we'd do is we'd take the jet skis and we'd go like real slow down the creek and we'd look at everything you know there's alligators and turtles and there's this creepy house where we don't know how they got there Uh, it's kind of you know scary like uh, one of those movies where they're coming up with the banjo on the uh, canoe and when we would get to the end of the creek, we would turn around and then we would just go as fast as we could on these jet skis. So we're going like fifty miles per hour. We're cutting turns. Charles knows, Heather knows, they've been down there. And we're like going as fast as we can. And uh and it was just super fun. And so one time my brother was there with his two friends. And so my brother and his friend are on one and his other friends on the on the jet ski with me. And so we're like flying out of here. And at this time, um there was a there was a tree that had fallen in the creek, and so you kind of had to like go around it like this, and um, so we're flying, and we're coming up to this, this tree, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, t- I'm just going to like do a hairpin turn around this thing, this is going to be awesome, and then, um, oh, something you need to know about jet skis, if you've ever ridden one, um, you can't turn if you're not giving it gas, right, so when you let off the throttle, you just coast, and so I'm getting close, and I'm like, I got this, and then I'm like, well, maybe I don't, maybe I should slow down, and so I let off the throttle and I start to turn, but it doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, I just freeze. And I've like, I've been riding jet all my life, but I freeze and I'm like, ugh. And so I just coast straight into this tree. <laughs> and it's like it's like a like an in an A shape. And so I just wedge straight into it. This big crack noise. And I was probably going like 40. And uh and then I like kind of you know shake my head. And I hear yelling, and I look back, and the guy who was on the jet ski with me had jumped off, and he's now in the water screaming, Get off! It's going to explode! And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I look down, and, and I've, j- I've like, damaged the, the fiberglass really bad, but the jet ski still works. It's fine. So I drive back, and, uh, yeah, it it yeah, we had to fix it. I had to pay for it. But uh, we get back, and before I even pull the jet ski up to the dock, my dad's out there cleaning fish. And I just say, I'm like, Dad, I crashed a jet ski. He's like, What? And he's got a knife in his hand. So I'm just like, Oh, like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and he's like, All right, I'll just check it. I'll check when I'm done. And so as I'm walking up, my brother w- runs up to me. He's like, Sean, why, why'd you tell dad? Why'd you tell dad? And I was like, Well, yeah, I figured better sooner than later. He's like, Oh. Well, if I was you and I had crashed it, I would have said nothing. And then when dad asked, I would have just blamed you. I love my brother. I don't, I don't tell this story to, to throw my brother under the bus and say he's, he's a punk, which he is a punk, but not for that. I say this because what my brother did in that moment highlights something that is so prevalent in our culture, and it's the fact that people don't actually want to take responsibility for anything. We are a part of a generation that has been taught that we're not to blame for our bad grades, we're not to blame for our poor behavior, we're not to blame for the violence around us. That is, that is someone else who did that, right? And we've been conditioned to think that it's, some, it's everyone else's responsibility that we're the person we are today. Social factors made us who we are. We didn't make us who we are. But if that's the case, and we're not actually responsible for ourselves, then can we actually be responsible for anything? Because right, we're, we're part of a group, you guys know us, we're millennials, every one of us in this room is a millennial, right? And we, as millennials, kind of have this catchphrase, I say it myself, we all say it, we're all like, oh, I, I just want to make an impact, I want to make a change in the world. Like, you guys, all, you all know that, right? We all feel that. But, is that really true? Is that really true of our generation? If I'm going to be honest, I don't necessarily think it is for the most part. I think it's mostly just talk. And here's why. How many people have gotten on Facebook in the last week and you've seen something along these lines? World hunger, racism, sex trafficking, drug and alcohol abuse, violence, poverty, corrupt politicians, American government, the president, global warming, and the list goes on and on. Raise your hand if you've seen anything like that on social media. Right, pretty much, every, Alex got two hands up. Pretty much everyone has seen that, right? Now, how often Have you seen those same people actually ever do anything about what they say rather than just write a strongly worded post, 10%? Very few, right? Everyone has something to say about the problems around them, but no one seems to want to take responsibility for what's going on around them. And everyone seems to realize that this world is kind of messed up, right? And they're all asking, what are we going to do? with everyone asking the question, why are there so few answers? And what I submit to you tonight is there are two major reasons why people don't take responsibility. The first is because they don't actually care about what they say they care about. And the second is that if they do care, they just don't know what to do. So in response to the first for people not actually caring. What we need to understand is that we all have responsibilities. Whatever our culture says, whatever our generation says, we do have responsibilities. And we know what our responsibilities are because they're the things we care about. And they're the things that are important to us. For a PETA activist, the most important thing to them, or one of the most important things to them, is the welfare and treatment of animals. So they take responsibility for making sure that animals are treated well. For a social reformer, the same is true, but they feel that towards people who, they, they, they say that one of the most important things is the treatment of people regardless of gender or race or sexual orientation. And so they take responsibility for people like that. For a selfish person, most important thing to them is themselves. And so they take responsibility to make sure that they get what they want. But what about a Christian? What is the most important thing to a Christian? What is the responsibility of a Christian? Well, lucky for us, Jesus gives us an answer. I'm grateful for him. He always has something to say about every question I've ever had. Jesus always has an answer. And so on four different, at four different points in his life, Jesus said in five different verses, he said what the responsibility would be of one who would follow him. And so in Matthew 28, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every man. Luke 24, he says, you are my witnesses of the things I have told you. John 20, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses. Jesus Christ. God himself, the king and commander of the universe, says that the primary responsibility of a Christian is to be a witness and a disciple maker. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, then you are by, by association as a Christian, you are a witness. And what a witness is, is they're not just someone who sees something, but they're someone who sees something and attests to what they have seen. They talk about what they've seen. And a disciple maker is just one who makes disciples for Jesus. You see, if you're a Christian in this room, then you are a witness. And as you grow in Christ, you become a disciple maker. Out of all of God's creation, people are the dearest thing to his heart. They are the crowning jewel of creation. We are God's crowning jewel. And because we are the most important thing to God in all of his creation, we should also see the same if we love God. If we really do say we love God, then we should see in all of creation people are the most important thing, and we should be happy to take responsibility for people. This is God's call to every Christian and his hope for every man, that we would take responsibility for what's dearest to his heart. So, we take responsibility for what's important to us, right? If we don't actually care about something, why? I mean, right? Like if we don't care about something, we're not going to do anything about it. But if we do care, then we're going to do something. So, what do you do then if you do care, but you don't know what to do? Are there any is there anyone in this room who's like me where if you're like, like someone's like, "Hey, could you do this for me?" and you like r- you work really well if they give you like do this, this, and this, right? Is there anyone else like that? Cool, like, it, I know Christopher is. He can't even buy milk if you don't tell him what the right milk is. Right, but like, if I were to ask some one of you to build this desk, and then I was like, oh, by the way, I burned the instruction manual. Good luck. Like, that would suck, right? Well, Jesus is not a jerk. He's not cruel. And he gives us a framework in order to take up our responsibility. And I believe that framework is Acts 1-8. And so it will be on the screen, and it reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, contextually, what is happening here? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's about to ascend to heaven. And these are the very last words he ever says to his disciples. Because he understands that they are about to go and take everything he ever taught them, and they're going to go start the church. Right, What they started is why we're here now. And Jesus understood that they know that they have a responsibility, but they're probably in the same place. They're like, well, what do we do? Like, And so he tells them, and he tells them that they are to go to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to uh, the entire world. And I believe his framework for them is also the same for us. We are to be witnesses and disciple makers to our Jerusalem, to our Judea and Samaria, and to our ends of the earth. So what is our Jerusalem? We'll start there. Well, obviously, none of us live in Jerusalem. We live in Morgantown, right? And we're not going to Jerusalem, and he wasn't talking about going to Jerusalem. So we don't, good thing for you, you don't have to buy a plane ticket. Um, (laughs) But if we look at what it meant for the disciples, what we see is that it was a matter of where they were at. This just how, just so happened, Jerusalem just so happened to be the place where they were at when Jesus gave them the command. And so he said, start where you're at. And so when we ask, what is our Jerusalem? It's simple. Our Jerusalem is where we are when Jesus calls us to responsibility. And for us, our Jerusalem is West Virginia University. The disciples were in Jerusalem when he gave them the command to go. And so they started there, and we are here, and Jesus gives us the command to go and take responsibility, so we start here. So what does it actually look like then to be a witness and a disciple-maker to our Jerusalem, right? What does it practically look like? Well, every time, again, I said it, When I have questions, I go to the Bible. And the book of Acts, man, guys, the book of Acts has so many answers to this. And first of all, this is just a, a, a quib, the book of Acts is better than any movie you'll ever see. It is the craziest story. Like, if you've never read it, you should read it and just read it in one sitting. It is the craziest story. So much stuff happens. And as I read the book of Acts, I see, and I, I was looking, and I was like, what is, the, what is it that the disciples did with the responsibility as witnesses and disciple makers? What did they do? And, guys, there is so much stuff I can't even start to talk about it. So I'm only going to pick a few things. But there is tons of stuff that they did. And so the first thing that I want to point out that they did In their responsibility is that they never stopped talking about what Jesus had done in their lives. The reason I start with this one and I want to and this is the the bedrock for what what all of this looks like is that you do not have to be a small group leader in Chi Alpha to be a witness for Jesus. You just have to have a story of how Jesus has changed your life. You see, the Bible says that what happened in your life, if you have been radically changed, the Bible says that is a miracle. And there is power in miracles. There is a power in your story that when you share it, the world around you will see that there is something that you have that it longs for. Have you ever actually shared your story, though? Have you shared your story with people? Have you shared your story with your roommate who doesn't know Jesus? Do they know what Jesus has done in your life? Do your friends that you hang out with outside of Kai Alpha, do they know that Jesus has changed your life? Does your small group even know what Jesus has done? You will be surprised by how powerful your story actually is when you share it because your story isn't just about you. It's about what Jesus has done in you. And when you share Jesus with someone, man, you guys are all here tonight because Jesus, because of him. It's not because of any of us. It's not because your small group leaders winsome or funny. It's because of Jesus. Another thing that we see that the disciples did that we can follow is that they gave what they had. There is this beautiful story in Acts 3. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible where there's this man. He's 40 years old. He's been begging for money for his entire life. He's paralyzed. He can't move. And, and John and Peter walk by one day, and the man's like, please give me money. And Peter stops, and he looks at him, and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, stand up. And the man gets healed right there after 40 years. And what we see from Peter's example is that though we may not have much to give, we must still give what we do have. I realize you guys are college students, okay? I know what it was like, not even two years ago I was a college student, and I know what it's like to have very little money, very little time, very little resources. We understand, but there's not a single one of you in this room who has nothing. You all have something to give. I think it's been, it's one of my favorite things to watch people give their life to Jesus. i uh, been watching you guys and seeing, you know, and you get excited and you're like, oh man, this is so cool. I want everyone to know. I want, I'm, and you go to your roommate and you're like, hey, you want to come to Chi Alpha? And then they're like, no. And then you're kind of like shell shocked. and You're like, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> oh, And you just get to this point where you're like, I don't, you really don't know what else to do. What else can you do? To share the love of Jesus with them. Can I tell you that one of the most powerful things my small group leader ever did for me to show the love of Christ was that he bought me a meal. I'm not exaggerating. It was one of the most powerful things he ever did. He paid for my meal. He laid down his money to show the love of Jesus to me. And I wonder what would happen to your friends and to your roommates who won't come to Chiapas, but you say, hey, can I treat you to a meal? They're going to ask you why. What about you guys who, when you open your wallet, it goes, <coughs> and a bunch of dust comes out. What about you guys? What do you have to give? I, you guys don't have money, I know. You guys have your time. You have your time. When I think about people who give up their time, there are three of you, like I said, I like to watch people. I'm not creepy. I just really, I observe. I'm very observant. And uh, and there's three people who I've watched throughout this year who do this so well. Dalton is one of them. Taylor Mullins is one of them. And Tika is one of them. And it's so cool because every week I see Dalton, he comes down here after Kai Alpha and he gives up his time. It's not a lot, 10 minutes. But he comes down here and he helps put up the sound equipment every single week. Taylor Mullins... Homegirl is awesome. She is, like, reaching out to girls and then realizes that because her small group has 48 people in it, Taylor can't actually take care of everyone. And so Taylor Mullins is over here discipling girls, and she's not even a small group leader. She gives up her time. Tika, you're awesome. (laughs) Tika, man, I heard about Ado was driving her through campus one day, and Tika was like, stop the car. And Tika got out and went and shared the love of Jesus to a girl walking home by herself. She gave up her time when she could have gone home and slept, or done homework, or anything else, but she gave up her time. (laughs) Our responsibility as witnesses and disciple makers is to give what we have. And we believe that though it may not be much, Jesus always multiplies what we do give. The third thing that we see the disciples do in Acts is that they shared their lives with people. If we're going to take responsibility for people, then we have to invite them in. (laughs) Many of you have friends who you see on a daily basis, but I ask this question. Do you share your life with them, or are you just in proximity to them? Are you willing to talk to them about Jesus, or invite them to Kyle or invite them to small group, or are you more afraid how they might think you're weird? I'll tell you a funny story about how I tried to do this. Um, (laughs) This was a fail. Uh, In college, my dorm was next to McDonald's, and so I would go there. And one day, I'm like, order my food, and I noticed this guy over there. I'm like, oh, he's sitting by himself. I'm going to go sit with him. I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. I'm going to get his number. We're going to be friends. This is going to be awesome. All right? And I, like, walk up with my tray, and I'm like, hey, can I sit with you? And he looks at me. He's like, no. No. And, like, before I can even say anything else, he stands up, takes his tray, dumps his food in the trash. He, wasn't e- he didn't even finish, and he left. Like, he didn't even go to another table. He left. <laughs> I don't tell you this because I'm, tellin- I'm not saying you're going to fail when you do this. You're, you won't. But you have to be willing to look a little bit of a fool, a little bit dumb, if you're going to invite people into your life in the first place. Because if you're going to take responsibility for people, then you have to be willing (laughs) to sacrifice comfortability and convenience so that people around you can know Jesus. You guys are college students, and your life revolves around college. You came here to get an education, yes, but God has much bigger plans for you than to just be a simple student. He has plans for you to be a witness and a disciple maker and a life changer. So we know what our Jerusalem is. It's where we're at. Right now, where we're at is WVU. So then what is our Judea and Samaria? Well, for the disciples back then, their Judea and Samaria literally was, it was Old, Old Testament terms and just meant Israel. It was the country of Israel. And in Acts 8, we see that there's this great persecution that happens. And all the disciples who were clustered in Jerusalem, out of necessity, they leave. And they go into Israel, and they start discipling and witnessing to people in a new context, but they're doing the same thing that they did in Jerusalem. And so for us, it's the same thing. Our Judea in Samaria is America. It's our country. Many of you guys, when you graduate, you're going to be doctors or engineers or accountants or whatever it is you get your degree in. And out of necessity, you're going to go into the workplace. Right? Makes sense? But... What I want you to understand is that you do not stop having the responsibility as a witness and a disciple maker when you leave Chi Alpha. It is a lifelong responsibility. For the rest of your life, if you follow Jesus, this is what you're called to. So, what does it look like then? What does it look like to, to be responsible for our Judea and our Samaria? So again, we look back at the book of Acts and we see three things, another three things that they did. The first was that they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. Secondly, they respected everyone, even their enemies. And third, they continued to pray, continually prayed for those around them. You guys, when you go into the workforce these next few years, because we've got four years with some, most of you, some of y'all are on the five-year plan. You'll be here for a little while or seven. Um, <laughs> When you go into the workforce, God is going to divinely place people around you in the cubicle next to you, people you work with on projects. They're going to be there because God has put them there so that you can witness to them, and as you invite them into your life, you can disciple them. One of my heroes who does this so well is a friend of mine from college named Buki. And Buki, he was on the football team. That's his nickname. That's not his real name. His real name is Marquise. But uh, Buki... He uh, he was on the football team. This dude was so good that he actually had NFL scouts looking at him. Like, he was going to go and play for the NFL, but Buki had a dream because he wanted to be a football coach. That's where his passion is, and so he wanted to follow his passion. So he's a high school teacher now coaching football, and the reason why Buki is one of my heroes is because he is absolutely unashamed talk about Jesus. The same way Jordan said, he does stuff like that where he's putting stuff on the board for his students to read. He's inviting his co-workers to church. He's talking to them at his lunch break saying, this is what Jesus is doing in my life. And Buki's not dumb about how he goes about this, right? He, he works in the school system. He can get in big trouble for talking about his faith. He's not dumb about how he does it, but he does understand that if he were to lose a job over this, it would be worth it for his king and Buki, like so many other Christians, understands this truth, that he is a thermostat, not a thermometer. You see, a thermometer, just set, it just tells you what the temperature is. But a thermostat, it sets the temperature. If you are a Christian and you are in the workforce, your responsibility is to set the spiritual temperature for the people around you. I mean, that's cool. You're going to have responsibility to witness and disciple to your coworkers. But I want to let you in on a little secret right now, too. If you have, if most of y'all have worked, right? Is there anyone who's never had a job? Damani. Cool. He has a job. Okay. This is th- you, you all know th- what this when I say it, and it's going to be true for the rest of your life. You are going to work with people you don't like. Right? Everyone knows what it's like now, and it's going to be like that for the rest of your life. I'm sorry. You're going to work with people you don't like. So how do you disciple to someone you can't stand? Like, how do you witness to someone that you just can't stand being around? A friend of mine in college named Nina. She worked at Taco Bell. Um, great place to work. That's, that's sarcastic. I don't like Taco Bell. Uh so she worked at Taco Bell and she worked with this girl that was just awful. She couldn't stand this girl. And so she starts praying, and she's like, God, would you change this girl? God, please change this girl. I don't like her. Would you change her? (laughs) And she prays for weeks, and God doesn't do anything. Nothing happens. And then one day while she's praying, God speaks to her, and he says, Nina, you keep praying for me to change her. But why haven't you asked for me to change you? Nina went on to pray that God would change her, and God did. God changed Nina's heart, and she was able to love, and she was able to serve this girl she worked with, and in time, she was actually to share, able to share Jesus with this girl, and that's what we have to do. We have to ba- say, God, would you, ch- would you change me first so that I don't see them as an enemy, so that I can respect them, so that I can love them, and then in time, as you change me, then change them. <laughs> Man, you're gonna have coworkers like this, some you like, some you don't, but they are there because God has put them there. And what we must understand too is that we can't do this alone. We just can't. We're gonna have to take up the responsibility to pray. We're gonna have to pray not only for our country, not only for and, and I'm sorry, we're gonna have to pray for our country and for our coworkers, right? Listen. If you're not praying for your coworkers, don't ever expect them to get saved just because of the way you live your life. If you're not praying for the, the direction of our country, don't complain. If you're not praying for the president, <laughs> rather than complain, why don't you just pray? And ask God, we have been given the responsibility to intercede for our country and to stand in the gap for our country and for our people around us. And it is a responsibility I hope every one of you guys would take, even tonight before you go to sleep. (laughs) So we've talked about our Jerusalem, we've talked about our Judea and Samaria, and then we come finally to our ends of the earth. Now, it's pretty self-explanatory. There's no, like, special correlation. It just means the same thing. It means going to the places where Jesus has not been named and where the gospel has not been preached. We have a responsibility not just to where we're at, West Virginia University, not just to America, our country. We have a responsibility to the entire world. And when I say this, I speak on behalf of our staff. We on staff have dreams for you guys. We have dreams for each and every one of your lives. And for many of you, we have dreams that you guys would go on and be missionaries and that you would follow the call of Jesus in your life. We have dreams that you will go into some of those countries where people say, that's too dangerous, and you will joyfully serve Jesus there. We have dreams for some of your lives that when your family and friends say that you're wasting your life as a missionary, that you will know your Father in Heaven says you're living it to the fullest. And we have these dreams knowing that, yes, there is a great, responsibility and calling that comes with it but there is nothing like walking in the fullness of what Jesus has for you I know I'm a dreamer and I wish that all of you guys (laughs) could go and be missionaries but I also have enough sense to know that that won't that that most likely won't happen in fact most of you guys won't actually go and be missionaries and I understand that and it's sad it's sad to me but I know but You guys are going to be, you guys are going to go on and you're going to go into the workforce and you're going to be engineers and you're going to be teachers and you're going to be nurses and doctors. But what if you took seriously the call to go into all the world and you said, Jesus, I will gladly use my degree to go to the countries where I could not go as a missionary? Just think how many of you engineers in this room could go almost anywhere in the Middle East when you could not go as a missionary. Just think of any teachers could go to china a communist country that says we don't want any of you christians but we will take your teachers even if they're a christian just think how many of you nurses and doctors could go into some of the most closed countries in the world because you have something to offer that they don't have and i'm not just talking about medical expertise our responsibility is to go into all of the world and to witness to and disciple people for Jesus. We are called to reach the entire world if we are ever to see the coming of God's kingdom and to see Jesus again. But what I love about Jesus, I love him. He is not. He doesn't just partition out little bits of responsibility. He gives this responsibility to the world, to all of us, even those who will never go. You may work here for the rest of your life, but you still have a responsibility to the world. You have a responsibility as a cinder, and this is why we do offering. We we encourage it now. We a, a, I love it. Pete Bulett said something at World Mission Summit. It was the best analogy I've ever heard for what it looks like to to have the responsibility of a cinder. He said that it's like there's this deep dark well where all the lost children of God are stuck and they cannot get out. And what the missionary has said is that I am willing to go down in there, but I need someone to hold the rope. And that is what the responsibility of, to the world of those who stay is, is to hold the rope. But you're not called just to hold one little measly rope. You're called to hold as many as you can. So you should be, uh, my hope is that you would be saying, you know, I don't need to eat out every Friday night if it means I can hold another rope. I don't need to get a 55-inch TV and surround sound if it means I can hold another rope. We all have a responsibility to the king, and we must be willing to lay down all to follow him. We must be willing to lay down our time, our money, our resources, our convenience, our plans for our lives. <laughs> Dick Brogdon once said this, why is it that we are willing to let our sons and daughters die on the battlefield for Uncle Sam, but we are not even willing to let them serve on the mission field for King Jesus? If you're going to take responsibility for the entire world and see people come to know Jesus, then we will have to lay some things down. But... Guys, it is the most beautiful thing. I've, there's nothing more beautiful, nothing more exciting that has ever happened than to watch someone give their life to Jesus. I've never seen anything like it. And it is worth everything. I said at the beginning that there are two reasons why people don't take responsibility. Firstly, because they don't actually care. And secondly, because they don't know what to do. But if you are a Christian, If you follow Jesus, then you know why you care, and you know what to do. And you see, the responsibility of a Christian is not primarily to fix the problems of the world. It is to make disciples of Jesus. But when you make disciples of Jesus, you will inevitably fix the problems around us in the world. (laughs) And this is because what's wrong with the world is not a social problem. It is a sin problem problem. And the only biblical way that a sin problem can ever be dealt with is a radical encounter with Jesus and having him give you a new life. But what I love about Jesus, I love that, that he is God. I could never think this up. The way that Jesus has set up his kingdom is that we as his followers are the ones who introduce the lost to him And so what we do as reconcilers is we take their hand and we take His and we bring them together. That's what it looks like to disciple. That's what it looks like to witness. That is our responsibility to take people and introduce them to Jesus and walk with them in Him. (laughs) If you're a Christian in this room, whether you're a small group leader or not, this is your responsibility. You are to be a witness and a disciple maker. We have a mission from God to find the lost, to love the unlovable, and to restore the wayward son or daughter to their father. And if you're not a Christian in this room, then it is my hope that you would want to join the family of God and that you would know what it means to be a part of this family. (laughs) You will not be able to sit idly by and do nothing. You will have responsibility, too, if you're going to be a part of this family. But what a beautiful and joyous responsibility is to see lives changed, to see freedom come to people who are enslaved, and to rejoice with God as his lost children come home. I want to call Katie and Christopher back up, or not back up. Call them up. And our response tonight is going to be very simple. It's going to be two things the first thing we're going to do is that we are going to thank God for the people who have taken responsibility for us. And so what we're going to do in a moment when, when, when the lights go off is that we are going to get into our small groups. And I'm going to have the small group members pray over their small group leaders. And so what I want is that as you guys get in your small groups, would, would everyone in your small group just lay your hand on your small group leader? And only one of you needs to pray for time's sake. We would be here all night with some of the small groups, Ashley, 43 girls. <laughs> but just one person, if just one of you would pray, and thank God, thank God that your small group leader said yes to taking responsibility for your life. And would you pray blessings over your small group leader? Pray that God would touch them and bless them for them taking responsibility for you. And then for the second part of a response, after you've prayed for your small group leader, if God has t- spoken to you tonight, if you feel you're saying, you know what, I just I don't I've called myself a Christian and I've never actually taken responsibility. Or if you feel God urging you to take responsibility, or if you're not even a Christian, but this has just rocked you and you want to take responsibility, then would you ask your small group leader to pray for you? And I've already told the small group leaders, and they're ready to pray for you. And they're excited to pray for you. You see, taking up responsibility for people is not something that you, you know, you have to wait your whole life to do. This is something that you can do tomorrow. You can do it tonight on the PRT ride home. You can do it tomorrow in your classrooms. Or at the lair when you're eating lunch. And I want you to know that as you take responsibility for people, that there are eternal ripple effects. Eternity will never be the same when you say yes to responsibility and you go and witness and disciple the people around you. So now, we're going to get into our small groups. And first, we're going to pray for our small group leaders. And then, if you want prayer, to take responsibility yourself, then would you ask your small group leader to pray for you? We can go now.